my end game was to be an executive director or CEO or C-suite bubble. And an opportunity came about and I figured, well, this would be good if I'm called for an interview, you know, go through the process and really try to sharpen my skills and really craft my elevator pitch. And I am always open to new challenges and opportunities. So I decided I will throw my hat in the ring. Lo and behold, I did not expect to be called for an interview. So I actually did go through the interview process and it was a great experience. And then when I was called and offered the job as executive director of ISAP, I was blown away. I was like, am I ready for this? Am I not? And I knowing from a lot of my mentors that I had and the opportunities and what I've been able to do, I knew deep down in my heart, this is what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. is Associations Thrive, the podcast celebrating successful associations and their leaders. I'm your host, Joanna Pineda, CEO and Chief Troublemaker at Matrix Group International. Listen in as top association executives tell all, revealing the creative and innovative ways they're increasing membership, generating revenue, nurturing engagement, and reimagining their organizations. By the way, if you've launched a new initiative, created new member services, or updated your governance structure and are seeing great results, I want to hear your story and so do my listeners. I'd love to have you as a guest. Go to podcast.matrixgroup.net and apply to be on Associations Thrive. Now let's dive into this week's show. Today, I'm speaking with Bailey McMurray, Executive Director of the Illinois College of Emergency Physicians, or ICEP. Bailey, welcome to the show. Thank you. I definitely am excited to be here and have been looking forward to this. So this is actually my first podcast as a guest. Oh my God. Well, excited. And I'm honored that this is your (laughs) first podcast. I'm excited to be here and looking forward to chatting with you today. Hey, so tell us about ICEP. ICEP is the Illinois College of Emergency Physicians. It's the Illinois State Chapter of the American College of Emergency Physicians, or ASEP. ISEP is actually one of 53 chapters of ASEP, or our national organization. And as a chapter, we're actually celebrating our 50th anniversary this year. Congratulations. Thank you. A little delayed due to COVID, but we're really looking forward to it. So you've got how many members and where are they? All over the state? Do you have some members outside the state even? We're a diverse community of more than 1,300 members. A lot of our members are all across the state of Illinois. There may be members who are outside of Illinois, but do practice in Illinois, depending on where they work. And I would say that both ASAP and our chapter, you know, the mission, we're dedicated to promoting the highest quality of emergency care and serve as a leading advocate for not only our emergency physicians or EPs, as I like to call them, their patients and the public. So Bailey, you know, a few months ago, I had the opportunity to interview Vince Tolucci, who's the CEO of the International Association of Chiefs of Police. And he talked about how a lot of society's ills get kind of laying on the doorstep of police departments. I feel like that happens with the ER at hospitals, too. You say that you're at the front line for a lot of things going on in our community. So talk to us about that. What's it like to be an emergency physician in 2023. In a post-COVID world, especially 
you know, with our emergency positions in the state, they are the front line. They're the first people that you may see when you walk into an ER. They also have a variety of issues that they see, very traumatic to someone who maybe just, you know, has a cut and doesn't know where to go, or those that are in a mental health crisis, that the ER is the place to go to receive care. And they are the first ones to engage in that and provide the care to the patient. Yeah. And Bailey, I think about how people go to the ER for so many things. They might go to the ER because they have no insurance and now it's an acute situation. They might go to the ER because their regular doc isn't available. They might go to the ER just because they don't know where else to go. And that's what your members deal with. Yes. And during the pandemic, they were at the front line of the pandemic too. Yes. During the pandemic, they were on the front lines working as many other healthcare providers did day in, day out, hours and hours, taking on patients at different levels of care that may be needed. And really, it could have had a great effect on them. But at the end of the day, the passion of why they're in what they are really shines through. I bet emergency physicians aren't in it for the money. I would say they are not in it for the money. They definitely put their patients first, as well as their own safety. The array of members that I've had the opportunity to interact with, either serving on our board of directors or volunteers on our many committees, or even the members I've had the opportunity to connect with via phone, Zoom, face-to-face, you know, it's all the same story of the passion for medicine, passion for helping people, passion for providing the care to get people on their way and make them the most healthy version of themselves that they can be. It's got to be a special kind of doctor to be an emergency doctor because you just never know what you're going to face when you walk in the door every day. But what's the mood like three years after a pandemic? How are they doing? The mood is, I would say, it's twofold. It's optimistic, but also a lot of physicians are burnt out You know, they've worked so long and so many hours, there's no opportunity for a break. It's ongoing. And some of the issues that they're facing, even at not only statewide, but national level, is alarming. And, you know, we want to be there as an organization working with our national organization to really provide those opportunities to protect them, not only safety, but giving them the resources that they may need, as well as giving them the opportunity to advocate or to be part of the solution. I only know what I know, and they're the ones who are the experts in it. So really having their voice heard is important. Hey, before we get into the things that ICEP is doing to really serve the membership and do well as an organization, tell us about your journey to becoming executive director of ICEP. So you say that your family is from the medical field, and yet you're an association exec in a medical field. So how did that happen? I'm sure it's a great story. It is a great story. And when I was little, I wanted to be a nurse, a registered nurse like my mom, a registered nurse like my grandma. I kind of follow in those footsteps to be the third generation. Turns out that I am not a big fan of blood Ah. and not a big fan of needles. That's career ending. Yeah, that'd be career ending. (laughs) My mom is actually or was, they're both retired now. My mom is a registered nurse. She was for 40, about 44 years for pretty much one hospital in pediatrics. And my dad is a retired dosimetrist, which is a person that's part of the team that plans the radiation treatments for cancer patients. 
So he was at another local hospital here in the area for many years. And the inspiration I got from them transpired into, I want to be part of that, but I don't think I can be the person who is giving the patient care, but I definitely want to be part of that journey and give people the opportunities to have the best opportunities for career development, education, opportunities to connect with one each other and enrich the community, just playing more of a supporting role. My first association job was with the American Dental Hygienist Association. I started in membership. I've been with associations now for almost 11 years. From then, I had a short stint dipping my toes in the water of chapters and component relations, as well as membership for a trade organization. And then I landed before I had this position with the Orthopedic Research Society, which is an international society of, I think they had a little bit over 3,000, 4,000 members, at least at the time that I started. Wow. And I really enjoyed, again, being in a membership and chapter or section or special interest groups role, having that face time with our members and bringing together like-minded peers. And it just really was a great ride that I had and learned so much. And my end game was to be an executive director or CEO or C-suite level. And an opportunity came about and I figured, well, this would be good if I'm called for an interview, you know, go through the process and really try to sharpen my skills and really craft my elevator pitch. And I am always open to new challenges and opportunities. So I decided I will throw my hat in the ring. Lo and behold, I did not expect to be called for an interview. So I actually did go through the interview process. Nice. And it was a great experience. And then when I was called and offered the job as executive director of ISAP, I was blown away. I was like, am I ready for this? Am I not? And I knowing from a lot of my mentors that I had and the opportunities and what I've been able to do, I knew deep down in my heart, this is what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Nice. So Bailey, you wear a couple of hats at ISAP. So it's kind of interesting, and I don't know if you knew this during the interview process, but in addition to being ED of ISEP, you as an organization also run something called the International Trauma Life Support. It's an international organization that supports, what is it, 90 chapters and training centers. So Correct. you've got two hats. So how did it happen that this Illinois chapter is running an international organization? So ISEP has been providing management services to the International Trauma Life Support, or ITLS, for many, many, many years. It's been a great relationship. And ITLS is similar in health and medical, but obviously, yes, they're an international group. We have chapters and training centers all over the world, including here in the United States, to Spain, to China, to Australia. Wow. And our chapters are really our members. So they provide the ITLS pre-hospital and trauma care education and training to students who are EMTs, paramedics, nurses, doctors, you name it. And again, it's that same passion for patient care that really comes through. So when I found out about both organizations and how different they are, but at the same that the team that I have here, the staff, is really dedicated to both groups. You would not be able to tell if there was a bad day here in our office. Nice. And the relationship between me as executive director and the boards are completely different, but completely the same. We're all here for the same reason. And I've been very fortunate to have the opportunity. No day is the same. 
every day is a challenge and I, I invite that and I love it. I think if it would be the same thing every day, it would not be a fit for me specifically. So it's been a great journey thus far since I've been with the organization since September. Agreed. So you joined seven months ago. How's membership? Membership, from what I've seen over the history, has been declining. A lot of that has to do with, I think, just post-pandemic, being burnt out, people deciding to take on maybe other careers or things of interest. So they're leaving the profession, and that's kind of profession-wide. Yes. So membership is declining. You're a new executive director taking over from someone who was in charge for 30-plus years. You've got to make some changes. What are you doing? I definitely did not want to make changes right during you know, my first week, my first couple of weeks, because the staff themselves had a rough year with the previous executive director being there for a long time and retiring, moving into a consultant role for a couple months after her official date, and then me new coming in, and they also moved last year. So there was a lot of things that they were playing catch up on, and I did not want to spring any surprises upon them or our members, or our leadership and volunteers. So I did what most do in a new role, did kind of the listening tour, really listen to the team, really listen to see what the issues were, what's something you would like to improve, you know, kind of that pie in the sky, but also what are some things that really are in need to move forward to change? Taking into account that the previous executive director's tenure and foundation and everything that she built to keep both organizations flourishing and growing and sustainable, but kind of paving my own way, really coming in with some of the ideas. So some of the things I've done is I've had a lot of touch points with the team because they really moved back into a hybrid office right after they moved. They were all virtual the last few years, as most of us were in different ways. And really seeing what's going on, not only observing, not only meeting one-on-one with each of them, The team is nine, including me, soon to be 10 in April. We've grown a little bit. So one of the things I did was actually do a staff survey. Just simple questions. There was nine or 10 questions asking about how would you describe the team? How would you describe the office culture? And two questions in there is in your roles and responsibilities is membership, everyone's job. Ah. And it's customer service, everyone's job. Ah. I was not surprised myself by some of the responses I got. It was more kind of, okay, this is what I've observed is really equaling kind of what the perception or what the thought process was. What did you learn? So I learned the way I asked the question was so broad about membership. And I described it as two things, that the function of membership may be one or two people, but membership is everybody's job. So I kind of got some mixed reviews, which again, I was not surprised, but really putting that forth Got 100% on, obviously, customer service is everybody's job. But really marrying those two together because it doesn't matter what role you have in an organization, you're going to have FaceTime with a member over a communication in the email, in person, on the phone, Zoom, as most of us do now. But it was really surprising to really hear the feedback when we went over our staff survey recently and how we can move forward together to ensure that it's 100% across the board. And I'm very lucky. I've inherited a great team. We're a multi-generational workforce here and full of knowledge, full of passion, full of just a lot of excitement. And it's really helped to amplify our team and keep it strong and obviously ensure that we're meeting the expectations of 
both organizations at the end of the day. So what you're saying with the staff survey, going over it and then reviewing it with the staff is that membership and customer service are the responsibilities of 100% of the staff. Correct. And are they buying it? Absolutely, yes. Excellent. So in addition to some of this, I mean, you say that the members want to be back in person. And I guess that makes sense. They couldn't stay home. They're emergency physicians, right? Like, that's not a job you can do via Zoom. You have to see people in person. So what's working? What are you doing differently in terms of servicing the members and your conferences and your courses? Some of the things we're doing differently is we have a oral board review course that used to be in person. And for the team to describe, it was such a method and such a routine that they were used to doing, having it in person, you know, renting out hotel rooms, having hotel space, having to be able to have the registrants meet one-on-one with faculty and get that FaceTime. And due to the pandemic and how the Board of Emergency Medicine was really putting on their oral board test or exam, if you will, we switched to virtual. Ah, We've switched to all virtual and it has been probably one of, if not since I've been here, our biggest success. It allows opportunities for people to attend that may not be able to, you know, make the trek to come to a location in person. It gives a little bit more flexibility. And we're really seeing that people are still interested and they're, you know, we have certain number of spots based on our faculty. Our faculty really enjoys having it in a Zoom format as well. Behind the scenes, you wouldn't even know because it goes so flawlessly. We have a AM and PM and we're actually offering the course as we usually do about three times during the year. Some of the other things that we do offer, you know, a variety of continuing education or other courses and getting back to in-person due to our office location, we can only accommodate so many people in our conference room to really help do some of these courses. But the hands-on and the FaceTime and the connection with one of each other is really something that we're seeing that our members really want. We'll be having our annual symposium in May. It was held in person last year, but it'll be a little bit different with obviously some of the restrictions and things that are are going to be lifting in the next couple months right? to really provide those programs and that interaction that I think has been missing from our membership, at least from some of the listening tour that I've done with our volunteers, our board and members when I first started. So they're excited to be back in person for these courses. Absolutely. Yes. Bailey, you've also got a publication that you call Illinois Epic. It's a longstanding publication and you want to make some big changes to it. What are you doing? Yes. So Epic's been around as long as the organization has, and it's our quarterly publication that goes out. I really am looking to take that to the next level based on research and information that I've received and I've done working with our team to really see how do people receive information now? How do people like to receive information? Is it this quarterly publication? And without taking away from the prestige and the longevity of Epic, but kind of taking it to really be relevant to who we are today as an organization and where we're looking to go. I would like to do more of a virtual format, more interviews, videos. I don't know about TikTok yet, but... (laughs) Ah. (laughs) So you're revamping the format going more digital, going more multimedia, and just really rethinking everything. Yes, rethinking everything. And that's 
with a lot of things for both organizations, really taking a look at being respectful to the foundations that have been laid, but really taking a look at who we are as organization now and kind of what the landscape looks like for our members. Not everybody likes to receive a PDF or a link to things. Some people like that podcast format, you know, shorter bits of content that I've seen. And I think that there's a really great opportunity there. And I'm looking forward to really spending time on it a little bit after our symposium to really set this up for success. A big part of what ICIP does is advocacy. Yes. So you advocate at the state level, and then as a component of ASEP, you advocate at the national level. So you're doing more in this area. Talk to us about maybe some of the bills that you're trying to shepherd through, and why are they important? Absolutely. So we just held our first in-person advocacy day down at the state capitol in Illinois, and it was just a very inspiring and just positively motivated day to see people in person. And our lobbyist was there. We had some of our leadership there and our chairs who oversaw this program to invite speakers, whether they would be local legislators to come speak or others that may have attended advocacy days in the past and who've been very passionate and longtime volunteers to really speak about how to speak, set people up for success when you're talking to people. Ah. Talk to your local legislator, whether in person, Zoom, or if you happen to go to their district office, and really what to expect and how to conduct yourself and really what you're there for. And it goes back to why, why you're there and what we're doing. So some of the issues that we're focusing on, even at ASAP as a national level, is boarding and crowding in the hospitals. That could be patients who wait for a bed for a long time, hours, days, sometimes even weeks, a variety of issues to those who even are undergoing a mental health crisis. So this is referring to patients who basically stay in the ER because there's no bed space for them in the regular hospital. Correct. Yes. So they would wait for a bed to open up in the appropriate unit or the unit that's available, depending on the hospital. And this is a major problem? Yes, this is a major problem. This is a national crisis that ASAP has really shed light on. And we've really seen it here at a state level some of the stories that you hear from our volunteers and members of who they see and and the things that they go through, you know, trying to be there for the patient, provide the care that, you know, the highest quality that they can sometimes interrupted because of these issues. Something else we've seen, and actually we have two bills that have been sponsored that we're putting forth are related to violence in the emergency department. They are about amending the penalties for those that decide to cast violence against, you know, a healthcare worker or specifically those staff in the emergency department, that it is not a harsh enough penalty according to our organization. Because what happens is either patients, family members, whatever, visitors come in and they're violent against the staff. Yes. In the emergency room. So again, is this a big problem? This is a big problem. (sighs) I mean, you wouldn't expect any other violence to be cast. And it's not allowable in any workplace. I think employees expect a safe workplace. Yes, exactly. Just as you would working in an office or working in retail. It's the same thing that, you know, in the emergency department, it should be the same across the board. And we're not really seeing that, you know, due to the increase in assaults, increase in the types of harassment, verbal and physical, it's really has put fear in those that are on the front line trying to provide this care. 
And we're hoping that these bills will help mediate that a little bit and give it a little bit more of an opportunity to provide that safe workplace for our physicians. Wow. It sounds like you've got really a huge set of responsibilities at these two organizations. Before we go, what is your superpower? I would say my superpower is being able to adapt in situations. Ah. And I know that's kind of like a head-turning thing. I would say that anything that has come along in my, my journey, professionally and personally, that I am resilient. I take the good with the bad, but I'm positive in most of everything I do. And I would say the best quote that describes me is wherever you go, no matter what the weather brings, always bring your own sunshine. Ah. And that is something that I've stuck to and continue to carry with me to be the best version of myself that I can be not only for my team, for our members, for those vendors and people externally that I do, and even in my own family and my own personal life, that is just something that no one can take away from me. Boy, that's amazing. Bailey, I want to thank you for joining me today, for just talking to us about what it's like to be an emergency physician these days. Thank you for taking care of your members and thanks for everything that you're doing. I hope you'll come back. Absolutely. I would love to. Thank you so much for this opportunity. And I'm looking forward to more. Thanks for listening to Associations Thrive. We're so glad to have you here. You know, my personal mission and the mission of my company, Matrix Group International, is to help associations and nonprofits increase membership, generate revenue, and thrive in the digital space. I want to hear stories of how your organization is thriving in today's challenging landscape. Please apply to be on my show by going to podcast.matrixgroup.net. By the way, do you need help with a digital initiative? Maybe it's a website redesign, a new membership database, or a hybrid meeting that you're planning. I'd love to connect with you. Please visit the Matrix Group website at matrixgroup.net. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode of Associations Thrive. Don't forget to subscribe to the show, leave a five-star rating, post a comment, and share it with your colleagues and friends. Bye! Bye!